Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. It's Inauguration Day, and our nation's capital has been fortified to keep President-elect Joe Biden and others safe. But heightened security measures and COVID-19 will make this inauguration stand out from the traditional ceremony in years past. Coming up where we live, we talk to political scientist Jennifer Hopper, and we hear from Connecticut residents who've attended past inaugurations. We'll ask them to weigh in about this moment in history. First, joining us by Zoom from Washington, D.C., is Connecticut's 3rd District Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, who will be attending the inauguration today. Congresswoman DeLauro, welcome to where we live. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you. This is a uh, remarkably special day. I've seen different reports that the inauguration starts around 11 o'clock this morning. I know that you've attended other inaugurations. What's different for you today? Well, you know, clearly uh, the, the difference is in the, in, in the way that um, the security that surrounds, uh, you know, today's event, uh, the really the, the mobs and the throngs and the thousands and thousands of people uh, who are usually here uh, to witness the inauguration of the new president of the United States. And uh, uh, we have to do, do without that uh, today, but uh, because of the uh, the insurrection on on, uh, on January sixth. Uh, but what is critically important about today is that the resiliency of our democracy. Uh, this is a a nation that stands strong, uh, and uh, uh, that is what we celebrate today. Is the uh, inauguration of uh, President Joseph Biden and and Vice President Kamala Harris. And in that sense, it is such a joyous day. Uh, I, what's different, I didn't have to socially distance in the, in the past, uh, didn't have to wear a mask. Um, and again, it's all the security precautions. Uh, Congresswoman, that, you uh, mentioned the security. So are you expected to be in place much sooner than in past inaugurations? Yes, yeah, uh, uh, we, we will because we, we, we have to uh, check in. Everyone had to be tested beforehand. Uh, there is a screening uh, and uh, as it should be, we should, uh, there should be a, a safety, uh, as I said, g- given what happened on January uh, 6th. There's, uh, uh, and I'm confident that the, uh, uh, the precautions that have been put in place uh, will it, 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 it allow for the safety of this event today. Mm-hmm. You talked about the transfer of power when President-elect Joe Biden becomes the 46th president of the United States. It's also different this time because President Trump will not be in attendance. This is breaking a 150-year tradition of having presidents there for inaugurations of their successor. How do you feel about that? 
Well, I have to be very, very honest with you, given the 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 the, the four years and uh, what President Trump put this nation through, the people of this country through. Uh, you know, I, I'm just happy to see him leave. Uh, and uh, um, yeah, and his activities, particularly in the last uh, several weeks, and what he, the insurrection, uh, and the motive to overthrow the federal government on January 6th, which is something that he instigated, uh, is appalling uh, that a United States president would do that. He was responsible for that day. And quite frankly, he is now responsible uh, for Washington, D.C., uh, being an armed camp. Uh, with National Guard and with uh, Metropolitan Police and Capitol Police. And so uh, uh, for me, his departure is welcomed. It's and you mentioned. I mentioned that President Trump made the decision not to attend. But as you just said, uh, President Trump is not really welcome there either. Uh, NPR reporting that Biden called Trump's decision not to attend, quote, one of the few things he and I have ever agreed on. And that's not to also forget that this is a president that's been impeached for a second time. Uh, as we look at this uh, inaugural address coming up later today, what do you want to hear from President-elect Biden? Well, let me, let me just say this, that we have experienced a lot of pain, uh, especially in the last several weeks. Uh, and what is just so fortifying is today, we inaugurate a president who is determined to unite our country, not to divide it, not to pit one group against another, uh, but to bring people together, uh, to embrace the values uh, of this great nation. So I'm looking forward uh, to listening uh, 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 to the president and uh, to watching him. Uh, 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 and I, I, I might add that um, what he just last week, I was pleased with the economic relief package that the president spoke about. Um, so many people have died, 400,000 people in this nation. People have lost their jobs. Uh, and what he is proposing is that the vast majority of Americans will receive the help that they need to get some relief that they need. Uh, and so it's such a, a good start that we extend unemployment benefits and add a, an additional $400 to that, that we make direct payments to people, that we have a child tax credit to lift families and children out of poverty uh, and to have food assistance. People are hungry in the United States and that there is an emphasis on controlling this virus and bringing it to heal so that we can heal and move on to a uh, a, a recovery. And I, I, I think the thread going through these remarks today will be one of healing. And and the president-elect said last night um, uh, at the Lincoln Memorial uh, that in order to heal, we need to remember, and there needs to be accountability, and there needs to be responsibility. And that will begin a healing process uh, for this nation. Uh, President-elect Biden will be speaking to all Americans, including a portion of them uh, that supported Donald Trump, and they believe that Joe Biden did not win this election. When you talk about the importance of unity and unifying the country, how will this new administration speak to those Americans uh, who, again, 
still believe that this election was fraudulent? Well, I mean, think that that's the, the very point. We've, we have had a president for four years, as I said, who has divided the country, who has lied time after time after time, who's tried to suppress uh, people's voting rights, who have made statements about this election that have been proven false, not by me or others or in a partisan way, but by the legal entities who make those decisions. Uh, that this was, uh, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris won, and they won overwhelmingly. And so he has spoken to the uh, people in this nation of, of lying to them over and over and over again. And yes, people have believed him. So now it is a question of unraveling uh, those lies. And I, and I think that what, when you have the bully pulpit, as, as the President of the United States does, the strength of the, the, the words and words matter and have consequences. And when you then begin to listen to someone who brings that, that strength and that engages people and says to them, we are together. We are the United States of America. We are leaders in the world and that we need to embrace one another. And it is not about uh, uh, pitting each other uh, against each other. And th that starts at the top with the strength of that message. Now, it is not going to turn around overnight. It isn't. But at least we have someone now who brings a set of values and a morality to government that has been so lacking in the past. And my hope is, is that step by step and together with leaders on both sides of the aisle, that we can rebuild and that we can bring people together in common ground so that we can build for the health security of this country uh, and the economic security. And when they see someone, we've had a president who has not focused on the health of this country, has walked away from that effort, and one who has not brought economic security. And we now have an opportunity as elected officials, both sides of the aisle, with a leader who says, let us conquer this virus so that we can recover and that we can have economic security for the future for our families and for our children. Congresswoman DeLauro, how worried are you about extremism in our country? 25,000 National Guard uh, members are part of the security today uh, for the inauguration. I've heard reports that uh, they may stay there even after the inauguration. So how do we move this country forward? Well, I think, look, and, and I'm part of an effort, uh, uh, you know, that is uh, looking, um, it's investigating uh, the, the security uh, around and, and the Capitol. I think we have to call out white supremacy uh, for what it is and the hate, uh, you know, that it brings. But I think we have to start by uh, overseeing uh, and investigating uh, a, a, an effort, one that cannot be short-circuited uh, to get to the bottom of what, what happened. And that's what I said a moment ago about accountability and responsibility. And we cannot begin to heal unless we do that. Uh, there will be an impeachment trial. Uh, and again, um, the, the, the effort uh, to, to investigate. And 
uh, to that end um, on the on the 26th, uh, the uh, several subcommittees of the Appropriations Committee, which I chair, uh, uh, we are each of these subcommittees has some part of uh, the law enforcement uh, uh, entities uh, in the Capitol and would we'll bring them together with the various agencies and to begin uh, the questioning. The speaker has uh, designated uh, Lieutenant General uh, uh, Honore uh, to begin an investigation of what happened with the intent that it should not happen again and that we can uh, bring to justice uh, those who, uh, who are perpetrated and uh, instigated uh, this this violence. Mm -hmm. It's been only two weeks when that mob stormed the Capitol. How have you and your staff processed what happened? Well, it's um, it is a process. Uh, thank you for uh, saying that. One has to go through that. And uh, I was in the House Gallery um, uh, when we were uh, told to grab gas masks uh, and. Uh, no sooner than that happened, we were told that the the uh, Capitol had been breached. They had tear gassed the insurrectionists in the rotunda. They were making their way to the chamber uh, doors of the House of Representatives, which is only a very short uh, short distance. Those doors were barricaded. We began to be evacuated, and the insurrectionists broke the windows of the door uh, and were screaming and shouting. And there was a gunfire and and the police told us to hit the, uh, the ground. We crouched behind seats uh, in the gallery uh, until we were finally uh, evacuated. And we saw in the corridor there the, uh, uh, the rioters uh, on the floor spread eagled with the Capitol Police with guns over them. I was with a young staff member that day who was in an office on the second floor of the Capitol, right where all of this was happening. So he was barricaded. Uh, in that in that office, and hearing the shouts and the gunfire, uh, and uh, you, you, you know he's a strong young man, but these are not events uh, that don't make an indelible mark on who you are. So people will be processing it. We're hoping to, you know, that there is counseling for people uh, who need it uh, uh, because it's important to reflect on what happened what happened and to sort through your feelings, your own feelings uh, about uh, what, where, where you were, what happened and how you can move, move forward. So we're all, we're all beginning to do that. Unprecedented security in Washington DC today. You're confident that it will be safe for you and others attending the inauguration, Congresswoman? Yes, I am confident. I think they've taken extraordinary uh, precautions. Um, uh, you know, nothing is ever 100%, but I feel very confident in attending today. And I believe today is important. And I think that the president-elect determining that he will be on, uh, on the West Front of the Capitol, as will the vice president uh, and uh, the leadership of the House and the Senate, uh, that's important for the American people to know uh, the resiliency of our democracy. And while there were those who tried to trample it, to try to overturn it, that they cannot do it. And that, that was why that evening we went back to the House chamber to continue the counting 
of the electoral votes, which is our, was our constitutional mandate uh, to let the country know and the world know that the, we stand and we stand tall and we will carry out uh, the uh, government. Uh, and But we also would uh, adhere to and eschew to the values of the United States of America. That's 3rd District Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro joining us from Washington, D.C. Before she leaves to attend the inaugural ceremony, each member of Connecticut's delegation will be in attendance. Congresswoman DeLauro, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you very, very much. Stay safe. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we talk to a political scientist from Southern Connecticut State University, Jennifer Hopper, and we hear from other Connecticut residents who've attended past inaugurations. Will you be watching President-elect Biden's inaugural address? We want to hear from you. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel broadcasting remotely. In just a few hours, President-elect Joe Biden will take his oath of office and then deliver his inaugural address. What do you want to hear from the 46th president? You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome to the show now on Zoom, Jennifer Hopper, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut. State University. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for having me today. We just heard from Congresswoman DeLauro talking about this uh, unprecedented security in our nation's capital and uh, the ceremony that will be taking place in just a couple of hours. Can you talk through what stands out to you about uh, the 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 plans in place to get the the new president uh, to do his inaugural address without having issues pop up like we saw two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, so it's somewhat interesting because it is such a long historical tradition, Inauguration Day, uh, the provisions of which are outlined in the Constitution. Uh, and so there's so many longstanding aspects of the symbolic, democratic, peaceful transfer of power that we associate with today. And then yet in the midst of a pandemic and after the events of the Capitol attack, it looks so different than some of those other cases that we're so used to seeing. So um, in one sense, the events of January 6th, I think have helped prepare local law enforcement and local political figures to be able to prepare for today. Uh, there is an overwhelming presence of the National Guard in Washington, DC. There is a, an even stricter lockdown than what we've been associating with the pandemic. There's fencing all around the area in which the inauguration is going to take place, uh, various checkpoints, etc. The members of the National Guard and other law enforcement that are going to be in most close contact with the new president have been thoroughly vetted by law enforcement agencies. Uh, and so it really will look quite different. And of course, the absence of the crowds as well that we're so used to seeing people uh, congregating in front of the inauguration events taking place. And uh, it will be a much more sparse and socially distanced crowd this year. 
You mentioned the crowds. I've seen reports that up to 200,000 people attend are in D.C. during the inauguration, and they are replaced this time with flags in the National Mall, Jennifer. Yes, yeah, so a, a sort of public art display uh, to stand in for uh, people who are encouraged to watch from home instead. And in that way, it's it's not that different from what so many of us have experienced over the past year, you know, birthdays, celebrations, weddings via uh, Zoom and other uh, kinds of, of virtual means of attending and commemorating events uh, that the inauguration is going to follow suit with that today with a number of uh, virtual ways of celebrating uh, the transition of power. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, as we reflect on today's inauguration and those that have come before. Uh, Nick Boletto is joining us on the phone. He's the former chair of the state Democratic Party, someone who has attended past inaugurations. Nick, welcome to where we live. Hi, thank you very much for having me. So how are you feeling about today? Um, it, it goes back and forth. I mean, I'm missing not being there to the going to be the first i was attended the last four inaugurations so it's just such an impressive day and morning and to watch the peaceful transfer of power um it's just an incredible feeling and, and just such a part of history and it's the as i say the super bowl of democracy um in action to watch uh so i'm, I'm missing that part of it but to uh see president trump get on that plane and leave for the final time was just an incredible uh incredible thing to see this morning uh it was kind of a sigh of relief i think for most people and most americans a New York Times reporting that President Trump left the White House on a red carpet, hand in hand with Melania Trump. He spoke briefly with reporters before boarding that helicopter. He stood in the doorway one last instant, waving goodbye. The Marine One helicopter took off from the south lawn of the White House at about 8.18 this morning for a short flight to Joint Base Andrews in suburban Maryland. There, the president held a farewell event with administration veterans and other supporters, and he and uh, Mrs. Trump uh, departing then to Florida, where they will reside. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that everyone is hoping for this peaceful transfer of power today? Again, unprecedented security, Nick. But the idea that the current president will not be there. I think um, I think one of the biggest hits to his ego was that he told people he wouldn't be there, and everybody was like, okay. Um, the vice president, I mean, the president-elect certainly said that he didn't care, and uh, that was fine. I, I think it's a slap to him, uh, Donald Trump, and I think it will hurt him throughout history. Um, I think anything that he did do that was was good, uh, which is going to be difficult to find, um, is just going to be crushed by this, and this is all people are going to talk about. Um, you know, obviously the handling of this pandemic and this, I think it's just ruined completely from this presidency. Uh, Jennifer Hopper, what's your take on the fact that the president will not be there, but Vice President uh, Michael Pence will be? Yes, it's not insignificant that Pence is participating. I think it's important, again, from a Democratic perspective, that some prominent member from the previous administration does indicate that this is a normal process, uh, that this is a legitimate process. I understand the sentiment, even within the Biden team, a kind of sense of relief that President Trump was not going to attend and how much focus there might be, for instance, on things like his facial expressions during Biden's inaugural address, were he to be seated uh, on the dais with the other former presidents and other political figures. Uh, but in not attending, Trump also sends a very clear message to his base of committed supporters uh, that he does not support 
this transfer of power uh, and to continue to reinforce the views that he's expressed over the past few weeks and the past few months that uh, the electoral outcome was illegitimate in his view. uh, And that I think is potentially damaging as the country tries to move forward with a common purpose uh, toward meeting the pandemic and economic problems and other things that uh, require perhaps a more united front amongst Americans as a whole. At the same time, uh, Nick, we know that uh, Mr. Trump is a norm buster, certainly what we have seen over the last four years. Uh, Something that he said that's been reported that he hoped his exit from the White House was, quote, not a long term goodbye. What do you read into that, Nick? I mean, I certainly think with his ego and that he would certainly love to run again and come back. And he certainly potentially wants to run um again and run what the Republican agenda is going to be for the next four years and attacking the president. I think that really came to uh, an extreme halt uh, two weeks ago um, on the attack on the Capitol. And I think that has changed his his role in that, I think, has changed any great American's mind on what they would believe is Donald Trump. You mentioned, Nick, that you've attended four past inaugurations. Uh, Walk us through what that's like to be among all of those people. And, you know, depending on the weather, it can be pretty cold in D.C. this time of year. Well, that's absolutely. I I definitely bring on my thermal underwear uh, and wear that uh, every four years. Um, And it's uh, it's very, very cold. Um, It's wide open, um, as you could see, as everybody could see. So, the, so if it's windy, it, it's just very, very, very cold. Um, and it's a long process. You have to start it. Uh, you have to be out there by 6 o'clock in the morning, usually in lines to get through, um, to get through all the security and get to where you're going to be seated or where you're going to be standing, um, depending on which, you know, what area you had tickets. And the Obama uh, first election, they had a disaster where what, they ran people through a tunnel that got overcrowded and overrun, and they ended up uh, shut it down. So thousands of people never even made it into the inauguration. Um, so it, it is a little, um, it, it is a little chaotic, um, no matter how well they do it. But it is amazing, just an amazing ceremony to see, amazing feeling to be there in that crowd and to feel the momentum with everybody there together and, and just see that, that peaceful transfer of power that happens nowhere else in the world like we do it. So today, Nick, you'll be watching at home? Uh, yes, I will. I'll be watching at home and I'll be missing. Uh, so the usual what happens is right after this, they usually have the luncheon. So most people go and have a nap um, after the inauguration. And then you got to get ready for the balls and uh, all the celebrations at night, which obviously will not, not be taking place. Uh, the balls are just uh, uh, once in a lifetime experience. Um, I attended one at the Kennedy Center that was just uh, magnificent. Um, and people really, really just, uh, you, you can't get that feeling unless you're there. Um, and it's, you know, being a presidential elector um, multiple times also, this was a great, uh, this is great this year to be able to vote for Joe Biden, knowing that there was going to be a huge change. Um, and just the amount of votes that he got was he won by a mandate. Um, and no one can question it. Uh, former President Trump, soon to be former President Trump, um, and his people can't certainly can't question his mandate um, and the size of the win by Joe Biden. But yet they still continue to question it, Nick. We'll see uh, what the next few weeks and months bring. Nick Boletta, thank you for calling in today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, we want to hear from you, too. What are you hoping to hear from this inaugural address of President-elect Joe Biden? Also, Kamala Harris taking the oath of office as well. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Amanda's calling in from Hamden. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Lucy. How are you? 
I'm doing okay. So where will you be watching? Well, um, we have three generations of girls and women here. It's me and my mother and my daughter, and we're watching from home. Uh, really excited to celebrate that yesterday was the very last day that we would ever say a woman has never been vice president. So it's a good feeling in, in your family. What do you want to hear from uh, President-elect Biden and uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris? What do you want to hear, Mom? Hope. Hope. Hope for the future. I, I'm, it's, right, it's been so depressing this last year or so, so it's, it's hope. Something new and, and uplifting. I have great hope for, for Biden. Him going to church this morning to uh, start his day was Step in the right direction. And how about you, little one? What do you want to hear? Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, we're, we're tired of the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well, thank you for calling in today, Amanda and her, her mom and uh, daughter, I believe, all in Hamden. Excited for uh, Kamala Harris to become uh, the first woman vice president. Jennifer Hopper, talk about the significance. Uh, we don't want to we don't want to uh, forget that this is a, a momentous moment uh, for, for many people to see many women, many people of color enormously significant in uh, political science we talk about different ways of thinking about representation and just one of those concepts is that government uh should look like the united states it should look like america that when people look at the elected officials that represent them they should see uh, people who have experiences that are similar to them backgrounds that are similar to them so for women for women of color to have uh, kamala harris in such a prominent position in such a powerful position and with a wide open future potentially right to uh, run for president herself and for other uh, women running for president hugely important to have models like that uh, in government in national government you can join our conversation we want to hear from you as you prepare to watch or listen to the vice president and elect and president-elect joe biden uh, as they give their uh, remarks after the oath of office taken uh, around noon today you can join us 888-720-9677 you can also watch special coverage from pbs at ctpublic.org all throughout today and special coverage from npr on connecticut public radio Radio. Uh, again, uh, Jennifer, when we think about uh, this moment, unprecedented security, you know, this is a real about face for uh, Democrats in Washington who in the past uh, would not want the military to respond to protests like this. But they are now pushing for an armed military to be there to make sure that it is secure on Inauguration Day. Can you talk about that significance? Yes. Um, so following the events of January 6th, where I think all observers recognized that was a huge lapse in terms of the law, en law enforcement response uh, to those individuals who broke into the Capitol, uh, that there was a kind of overcorrection, perhaps, from some federal law enforcement authorities from some of the protests during the summer uh, in which they were criticized for maybe being overzealous in their response, um, using too much show of force, particularly against some Black Lives Matter protesters in the summer of 2020, uh, that some of that and a lack of communication and coordination between different law enforcement agencies may have led to some of the security lapses that we saw on January 6th. Uh, and so um, it is uh, certainly the case that uh, 
uh, some uh, Democratic politicians, right, were much more robust in their calls for a firm military presence uh, and a strong show of law enforcement in the events leading up to today, to today because of a sincere concern about the safety of elected officials, right? members of Congress, and you heard a little bit of uh, Congresswoman DeLauro's experience on January 6th, right, felt concretely uh, the potential threat uh, that was um, being perpetrated by those individuals who broke into the Capitol and defied all those security measures a few weeks ago. And so I think that that certainly lit a fire under individuals who are participating in today's events to make sure that events like that would not occur again. You can join us again, 888-720-9677. Bridget's calling in from East Hartford. Bridget, I understand you've been to past inaugurations? Yes, I have. I went in 2012. It was a group. Um, we were left on a, on a bus from Bloomfield, probably about uh, 60 of us. And we went down there. It, it, wonderful experience. Wonderful experience. It was bitterly cold, but um, I ended up on the mall and a million plus people. And, and the irony is I ran into people that I knew that actually came from my sister for one. So, uh, and my cousin. So it was... Uh, a very good experience. We ended up watching it. It was a big screen on the mall. So it wasn't, we couldn't get that close, but it was still a great experience uh, being there and watching it from the big screen, on the big screen. And how will you be watching or listening today, Bridget? On the big screen in my, in my um, living room. <laughs> so not quite the same, but uh, what will you be looking forward to hearing from President-elect Biden? I'm really interested in uh, the education uh, of the education system. Uh, being from Hartford and watching him uh, confirm uh, Dr. Cardona's appointment or wanting to confirm it, it is of, of grave concern to me as a parent and as uh, somebody from the urban community um, how this whole thing is going to play out. So I, I think that's the biggest thing, education. And, um, you know, actually, too, uh, employment and the corona, the coronavirus, having that. I'm, I'm a veteran, actually, on my way to the VA right now. And the, uh, the, the giving of the coronavirus vaccine has, has been a little slow. So I'm hoping, you know, that speeds up a little bit. Well, thank you, Bridget, for calling in today on Where We Live. You can, too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We should mention before we head to break, Jennifer, that uh, President-elect Biden's first order of business, signing 17 executive orders, uh, including what Bridget just mentioned, uh, looking at pandemic response, but also uh, the environmental rollbacks under the Trump administration, also looking at immigration and economic recovery. This seems like a lot to do on the first day. Yes, they are hitting the ground running. There is a tremendous amount in the modern era that presidents can do unilaterally without Congress. And we know that President Biden and his team have already prepared executive orders uh, placing a pause on student loan interest and payments, uh, rolling back the Keystone Pipeline permit, uh, rescinding the Trump travel ban, uh, having a mask mandate for federal property and interstate travel. So those are policies that change from one day to the next as a new president is inaugurated and affect people's daily lives very directly. 
Again, you're hearing Jennifer Hopper, who's an associate professor of political science at Southern Connecticut State University. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Coming up, we'll continue to hear from Connecticut residents about this historic day. Myrna Watanabe will join us. She's one of Connecticut's electors, and she's a former town chair of the town of Harvington's Democratic Town Committee. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel broadcasting remotely. Today is Inauguration Day. We hope you stay with Connecticut Public Radio throughout the day for special coverage, including a special call-in program tonight at 8. I'll be co-hosting the hour with Connecticut Public Radio's John Henry Smith. And again, we want to hear from you about how you're feeling about our country and the new presidential administration. That call-in number, the same one we use on where we live, 888-720-9677. You can join that conversation tonight at 8 on Connecticut Public Radio and streaming live at WNPR.org. Again, with me on Zoom, Jennifer Hopper, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. And joining us now is Myrna Watanabe. She's one of Connecticut's electors for the 2020 Electoral College, and she's a former town chair of the Harwington Democratic Town Committee. Myrna, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. It's good to be here. So I mentioned you're one of the seven Connecticut electors. What does it mean to be part of that have been part of that process uh, for this presidential election and looking at today's events. What are you thinking about? Well, what it, what it was, first of all, was a great honor. And even though I refer to myself as a political hack, and uh, that's sort of how you become an elector, uh, nevertheless, I was greatly, greatly honored to participate in this because, you know, there's this over 200-year history and I was in, in living history. Um, the other thing that interested me and excited me about it was that when the founders came up with the Electoral College, they certainly wouldn't have thought of women being part of the Electoral College, women being part of anything that elected any anything. And it was thrilling, uh, not, not just to uh, vote for Joe Biden, my significant vote because the only votes were seven votes from Connecticut that we that we were capable of having because those are the only votes that truly count so that I could do that I could be one of the seven and also that I could be one of one of the seven for uh, the first woman of color as a vice president I mean women of color were nobody they didn't exist uh, politically when the constitution was written mm. So what's your response as an elector, Myrna, to what happened on January 6th? And again, there are Americans in our country who still believe that Joe Biden did not win this election. Well, let let me begin by saying that um, when we got to the Capitol, uh, the seven electors and and, uh, some other people who were were there, because in case the electors didn't show up, but uh, when we got there, one of the things impressed upon us by uh, Secretary of State Merrill was that the Electoral College, you know, being there in the Capitol and do, doing your votes for, for the president and uh, vice president was generally just pro forma. But this year, it was not. The, this year, these votes were important. And one of the things she 
pointed out is, well, we don't expect that Connecticut's votes are going to be challenged, but you will never know. And one of the things I watched was what or were the Connecticut votes going to be challenged was some, you know, um, not so wise, we should say member of Congress going to get up and say, no, we don't like the Connecticut votes because blah, 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 blah. Uh, and of course, this was all part and parcel of the, the belief that people had, at least some people had, and certainly those who stormed the Capitol, that this election was not real. This election was fake. This election was, was rigged. Jennifer Hopper, I'd asked that question to Congresswoman DeLauro about how uh, America, America can move forward when that narrative continues uh, to exist, that this was a fraudulent election. I'm just wondering if you had some thoughts on how to counter this, because again, courts have thrown out the legal challenges brought by uh, Donald Trump and his supporters that this was a fraudulent election. We have people on um, both Republican and Democratic uh, election officials in the states that uh, some tried to contest that say that the results were fair and counted accurately. And so I'm just wondering your thoughts about this continued conversation. Yes, it's it's a very difficult question um, because uh, despite evidence, individuals talking about there being no evidence of election fraud, right, of the election being highly secure right, and producing legitimate results, uh, it's been incredibly difficult to reach a certain segment of the American public with that information or when they are confronted with that information, it just kind of bounces right off because it doesn't fit into their pre-existing worldview. Uh, there are, I think, some things that limit the spread of misinformation. So there was a recent data analysis that showed that in the time since uh, President Trump was banned from Twitter and some uh, QAnon proponents were taken off of Twitter as well, that misinformation that was circulating via tweets uh, has declined significantly in those days since that's happened. Uh, so to a certain extent, it, it's about sort of responsible social media practices, etc. But I think really, for instance, for the new Biden administration, it's it's going to be about actions. There are certain things that do unite Americans toward uh, a common goal. I think, you know, across the board, people of all political persuasions want the pandemic to be over, want the economy to recover. If it's possible for the Biden administration to make inroads in better distribution and faster distribution of a vaccine, for instance, for hastening the end of this crisis that ha the country has faced, you know, potentially maybe that starts to then affect the mindset of even those most committed proponents of false information about the election to kind of take a new, uh, a new mindset toward the legitimacy of the new administration. You're hearing Jennifer Hopper, who's an associate professor of political science at Southern Connecticut State University, and with us also on Zoom, Myrna Watanabe, one of Connecticut's electors. Myrna, you've been to past inaugurations. Uh, tell us which ones and what that was like for you. Well, I was at the first and second Obama inaugurations, and the, the atmosphere at the first Ob Obama inauguration was just absolutely thrilling. You had you know, hundreds of thousands of people there who were absolutely ecstatic that we were going to go to an administration 
that would not be torturing people, at least we hope they would not be torturing people, that would uh, not be carrying out these wars in the Middle East, that we had a brilliant and, and very verbal president. We had somebody that we felt very secure about. And it, it just was, was this overwhelming thrill of the crowd. You could feel it. It was pulsating uh, in the atmosphere. And people were talking to each other and excited. I had nice chats with the people next to me and in front of me. Uh, and it, it was this feeling that this is the change we wanted. This was the change we voted for. And today you were able to watch some of the coverage of President Trump leaving the White House. Can you tell me yeah. the reaction? Uh, I don't think it's really a reaction that's for, for general consumption. <laughs> but in, in fact, it was great and tremendous relief. He, he's a human wrecking ball. And I'm surprised he left the White House standing intact. Mm. And he certainly was trying to wreck the government. Everything that meant something, to certainly to me personally, to my family, to my friends, uh, to, you know, I would hope to the bulk of the people in this country was damaged in some way, shape or form. And we have to start by undoing the damage and putting, putting giant Band-Aids on it. Mm. Jennifer Hopper, we just have a few minutes left. Uh, again, today, a lot of people watching to see what happens in D.C. Again, unprecedented security, but extremism doesn't just go away uh, by the snap of our fingers. And I'm curious if you could talk about uh, what uh, officials not only in D.C., but around our country will be having to watch uh, for uh, in the coming future. Yes, uh, so um, law enforcement officials, as well as uh, some journalists and citizen activists have monitored a lot of the talk and chatting that goes on uh, in various online forums, particularly amongst these right-wing extremist groups. Uh, and um, there was right some concern that potentially that they would be targeting today. Uh, and so they've used the information that they gleaned from watching uh, people, their surveillance of individuals' conversations about potential plans and organizing, uh, et cetera, uh, to try to thwart a lot of those. We've seen a number of arrests and crackdowns of people who were involved in January 6th or who might be involved in uh, further planning and plotting. It does become uh, somewhat difficult. So I had mentioned briefly some of the bands of uh, certain people on, on Twitter, uh, Parler, which was a, po a popular social media outlet uh, for um, right-wing groups has also been uh, shut down. But as that happens, some of the communications that go on between these various groups may be in venues that are not as easily watched by journalists, by law enforcement, et cetera, encrypted apps and things of that nature. Uh, so that's something that's going to present a new challenge for trying to monitor uh, groups that may be actively planning insurrection against the United States government or violence against public officials and other kinds of public monuments. And we'll have to leave it there. I want to thank Jennifer Hopper again for joining us, Associate Professor of Political Science at Southern Connecticut State University. I assume your students will be watching today. 
Yes, they will. I, I require them to. <laughs> so yes, they will be watching. Also want to thank Myrna Watanabe for joining us, one of Connecticut's electors for the 2020 Electoral College, former town chair of the Harwinton Democratic Town Committee. Myrna, thank you for your time as well. Well, thank you for uh, letting me speak. Today's show was produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Carmen Baskoff was on the phones today. And remember, we're going to have a live call-in special tonight at 8. Join me in Connecticut Public Radio's John Henry Smith as we reflect on this moment in our country's history. And we definitely want to hear from you. That call-in number for tonight, 888-720-9677. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel.